Welcome to Blue Jays Happy Hour 2022, uh, our first episode of this year. We've been off for a while because, as you guys are probably aware, there's been a lockout going on. And I think Stoughton, the idea was to kind of not spend a lot of time talking about labor relations. I don't think it's either of our fortes or our favorite topics. But at a certain point, uh, especially with the threat of probably missed games at this point, although we can discuss where we're at with that, it's probably worth acknowledging what's happening. And then, (laughs) yeah, there's some Blue Jays stuff also that we'll get to. But Stoughton, where are you at mentally with this lockout and you know all the noise around it and you know i wanted i was gonna ask level of optimism but that's probably the wrong way to frame it level of pessimism where are you at oh i don't even want to think about like how many games they're going to miss uh it appears as though they're headed towards missing games uh i think the owners are probably ready to uh to dig in uh because they make a lot of money even though they will proclaim otherwise um it's really in their interest to, you know, to try to break the union because their biggest cost is, is labor. And they just have so many like locked down streams of revenue. Uh, they really got a, they got a great deal. Um, just with the, uh, you know, the, the TV deals and, and just the way that the economics of the game is set up and the way that the last CBA kind of uh, was so you know heavily in their favor. Um, I, I think if I was an owner, I would probably be like ready to dig in here. And I, I hate to say that cause I don't want to have to like do lockout podcasts for the next half year. I would love to see baseball happen, but, uh, I'm not sure. I'm not sure where that's, where it's going to go. But as you could tell from what I'm saying, my level of, of optimism, I know that you didn't ask that you specifically didn't ask that, uh, not great, not high. Well, there's a great proposal coming on Saturday. So, oh, I mean, we, I... we may have done this podcast at the <laughs> wrong time because, I mean, that was that was kind of, I don't know, it was almost Trumpian to me, the way Manfred's like, oh, we got a real good proposal coming through, like, great proposal. <laughs> it's like, okay, if you've got it, why don't you do it yesterday? Like, why? Like, why what you... were your other proposals? Not yeah. great, apparently. Or, and non-existent in a lot of cases. Like, uh, the part of it that's been so frustrating is that the owners have very clearly dragged their feet. Like, there's a difference Mm. between negotiating in good faith and not coming to a resolution, Um, and that can happen. But they're not negotiating in good faith. Like, they're taking as much time as conceivably (laughs) possible to do things. They're announcing proposals, like, days in advance instead of just doing the work. I think Manfred said, you know, the phone works both ways. Okay, like, come on. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, And it's just, it's it's so transparent. You know the, you know, starting from the letter to fans when they imposed the lockout in early December, talking about you know the we're doing this to expedite the process, and then just watching them drag their feet, and then watching what they say in public, and watching what their actions are. Uh, it's just it's so obvious that they're not acting in good faith, uh, and it's nice to see that you know at least the people that I follow, um, you know, get this. You know, it, it's. Uh, you know, thinking back to 94 and thinking back to other like labor issues and in, in other sports, uh, you know, it, this is the first time I remember people really being much more on the player's side. Uh, and that's just sort of like the moment we're at in the universe uh, for, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, of just how everybody recognizes how exploited everybody is at this point, I guess. Um, 
but that's been kind of cool. I know that there's been a lot of like talk about how, you know, it, uh, we talk about the lockout, uh, and, and, you know, a lot of people demanding, you know, certain main, you know, the Associated Press had a tweet that was really both sides in it, which was insane because it's not a both sides thing. And, you know, that's been sort of nice. Um, but also, you know, just because we think, we think about it that way. I don't know that that means that MLB is going to be able to, you know, they're not going to move off their position, which is quite entrenched in the system that is, you know, that is, I think, what is it? Like revenue has gone up 30% since 2015, but salaries have gone down 6%. Like that's just, you know, even though we're talking about millionaires versus billionaires and players are very well compensated, it's just, it, it's like, that's not, that's not how it should be. And the, the, the union has the power to stop that. Um, but it takes like this brinksmanship that we're kind of in the middle of. And, and as fans, it obviously sucks. Yeah. And I mean, you talk about those revenue numbers. I think, you know, part of the biggest problem is that we don't know what the revenue numbers are. Right. And that we talk of these ancillary streams of revenue and how teams are essentially real estate holding companies in a lot <laughs> of cases. And now there's going to be a, an, you know, an influx of money, influx of money to come in through gambling. We're not sure how that's going to be divided. So, you know, MLB teams and owners are doing a really good job of saying, oh, this is what revenue is, but it's not accurate. Like they're, right. the, they're, <laughs> they're showing you like the most obvious stuff and they're saying, oh yeah, that's revenue players. You can have about half of that. And that's not the reality. And it, it kind of goes to, you know, Robert Manfred's in, now infamous quote the other day saying, you know, we had an investment banker look into it. Like, oh, great, your <laughs> own pet investment banker. So you can, like, you can yeah. kind of, whatever, you can you can take that for what it's worth. But he essentially said, oh, well, it's actually, you know, investing in a baseball team is is actually worse than you would, the returns you would get out of the stock market and more risk. So there's two parts to that statement. Number one, worse than investing <laughs> in a stock market. The answer to that is no. Like, you and he said historically, so maybe that's like back in the day. But the way baseball teams now are now, the way their valuation grows is insane. There's only thirty of these products available, and and that's one of the reasons why the valuation keeps going up and up and up. The revenue, like I don't know what the exact numbers are. You had a good tweet about sort of what Rogers had bought the Blue Jays for and what they yeah, were it's ultimately like valued. Ninety million dollars a year, basically on average, the value just the valuation. If they if they spent nothing. Yeah, if like they, if they broke even, they would have gained ninety million dollars every year for twenty years. If you took a, a pot of money and you put a hundred percent of it into Tesla in twenty ten, <laughs> then yeah, maybe you would have done better. But it's the thing about it is the is the risk component. That's a part of it that's silly because you can say, oh, we could have done better in the stock market, and that's always going to be true because you can move your parameters around to define what that means. But the risk aspect is insane. Because the moment you want to sell a baseball team, you can sell it and you can make an enormous profit. People will line up to buy a baseball team, a sport, a professional sports team at a level of MLB, NHL, NBA, NFL. There will be billionaires who are lining up to buy this product. So there is no risk. If you buy a baseball team, the chances of you losing money on that, <laughs> on selling it later don't even exist like right. it's it's basically impossible to buy a sports franchise sell it later and lose money now you may 
for some reason buy at uh, the worst time and sell at the worst time due to some kind of larger macroeconomic factors and maybe not do as well as you might have in another investment. Boo-hoo. Are we supposed to be sad that like <laughs> a billionaire's investment that is profitable is not quite as profitable as another alternative investment? Like, is that supposed to pull at my heartstrings? I don't understand how Manfred can put that out and think that people won't just tear it to shreds immediately. Because with the, the tiniest bit of critical thinking evaluating that statement, it's nonsense. Yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's so stupid. And it is, it, it's really a slap in the face to anybody who has, you know, the ability to think about it for two seconds. Um, and I like, I think they're playing, they're, they're using a playbook that worked pretty well the last time this happened, but it is just, it, it is a, in a different environment. And I don't know how much, you know, public sentiment really means anything here, but, uh, but they're not doing great. <laughs> like that's just yeah like that's just not a compelling argument like well it's lying about saying that it's <laughs> that it's less lucrative than investing in stocks it's like you know that's that, there, there's a reason billionaires line up to buy these teams there's a reason that they you know that they're not all trying to get out of the business like if they could, if it was just so easy to make better money doing something else they would do it yeah, um. most of them, like, there are some, <laughs> I want to have fun, I want to be a big shot in my city, I love baseball owner guys, but there's some owner guys that are straight up, like, hedge fund dudes. Like, they totally. are evaluating this as, a, oh, this is a really good business opportunity, and that's what brings them into the sport, and that's kind of unfortunate, but, you know, we, you can't prevent that from happening. But the fact that that is happening is indicative of the fact that this is an incredibly profitable thing to invest yeah. in, and... Uh, you know, Manfred knows that he can say things like this and then an, on MLB.com, they can print it totally credulously. And there are going to be some reporters that are on more of the ownership side. There are, like you said, the tide is moving. But when you think about, you know, a lot of baseball fans are, you know, old, demographically older white Republican. That's how baseball mm -hmm. fans skew. So if you make a an argument that is not particularly pro-labor, uh, that is an argument that people of that ilk are likely to gravitate to. And I know that like you and I are looking at our Twitter and everyone is very supportive yeah. of the players. And the type of people we enjoy interacting with as humans are the type of people who are more likely to back the players. But there is... A bit of uh, I don't know. There's if it's a, a lot silent... of other. There's a lot of other people out there. Yeah, like we have an echo... echo chambers we've created for ourselves. Yeah, we have our <laughs> echo chambers, and I don't know if it's sort of a quiet majority or whatever. But there is a large swath of baseball fans who are taking in the type of things that MLB is putting out. And you know, as easy as it looks for us to be like, "Oh, that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. It's easy to tear, tear it to shreds." When your point of view is to be sort of pro owners or oh these guys make tons of money to just play a game why can't they just go back to work you don't apply critical thinking to what's being said you accept it and i think there's probably quite a few fans who are kind of just accepting what mob is putting out there and they're counting on that but yeah i don't, I, I don't know if is it going to be enough to sway public sentiment maybe not does public sentiment matter that much you know probably less than we think True, and I, I just, I think you're right about you know the the fans who are like, oh, the the you're getting paid so much to play a game, is 
that's not complex thinking about like well but actually the revenue is like the you know there's a lot of to, to think on sort of the point of view that we're coming from requires like understanding layers of information and why it's stupid that the owners are are crying poor and yet it's very simple and easy for people to be like oh but you're getting paid money to play a kid's game like i you make I would do I do that for free yeah and and that that is maybe what's going to be compelling but like I say also like you say like I don't know how much any of it matters but I think but what's I I think unfortunate and a a shame about it is that if we're getting to the point where you know we're thinking about that uh it's sort of maybe indicative of how like willing both sides are to like dig in until the point where like that is something that can move the needle maybe uh i think the bigger thing is obviously going to be you know they they actually will be losing revenue and losing like losing pay as players and losing you know having to pay back to local tv deals and whatever as, as owners and that's going to be uh that's going to create tension within both of those groups uh as we have seen already start you know sort of start to happen um but yeah, unfortunately, that's where we're at, and I think that the you know it's it, it's I don't know where like the like what's going to create like the critical mass that finally gets one side to actually the one side that is you know being obstinate in this whole thing to actually like you know back down a little bit, or if they can actually successfully break the union, which is clearly what their objective is. Yeah, one thing that's unfortunate as sort of an outside factor to all of this is the fact that April baseball games are sort of the least profitable ones for the owners. Yeah. They lose a lot of games due to weather, and even when they're not losing games, um, weather also causes attendance to go down. You know, around the league, when you think about places mm-hmm. like you know Cleveland, Detroit, places that have open air stadiums but are in cold areas, like that's a decent chunk of the league fits that description and. There is the sense that maybe, you know, if owners were going to lose games, those would be the games to lose. And Mm -hmm. that might embolden them a little bit more, which is frustrating when you think of a side, especially, you know, you and I are kind of speaking as this is a side, I don't know, the side of evil would be a bit (laughs) strong, but, you know, whatever, (laughs) is able to capitalize on the goddamn weather. Uh, That's that's frustrating when that could be a factor, but but it is a factor a little bit. I think so, and also, also the like the they make so much revenue on the playoff games. So if they get expanded playoffs, they I, I don't I don't know how unhappy the owners were with the sixty game season and expanded playoffs in twenty twenty, right? Like, and that you know that I think is going to make it hard for the players to to get what they want because I think the owners might would probably be okay with another situation like that. I don't know. I I don't know. If, like uh i don't know if that how like unified they would be on that i think that's obvious you know they they obviously don't want to lose games and i think there've been there's been some good stuff i think craig Cal- calcaterra wrote about um how they're you know because of because of all the debt that they are awash in you know teams are are, are not poor but also the, the missing out on the revenue streams of like having fans and, and actually playing games and actually getting those tv you know, those games on TV will be a problem for some of them. I hope that's true uh, because I hope that impels them to, you know, uh, actually want to start acting in good faith at some point during these negotiations. But, uh, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know because like 
so especially if the playoffs are expanded that just that 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 is extremely lucrative to have those games because those are the games everybody watches and those are the ones that drive the values of those huge contracts with you know espn and fox and tbs before we get out of the labor thing one thing that i saw just kind of before we started the podcast I thought was interesting. I mean, kind of grim and dark, but interesting. <laughs> um, Joe Sheehan does a fantastic newsletter on February 8th. He tweeted out, Strange evening. Almost feels like a coordinated attack. In just the last 90 minutes, some microfaller counts replying to me and backing MLB. And then two days later, uh, Kevin Goldstein a of Fangraphs, a friend of this particular podcast, said that the exact same thing has happened to him. These are, this is the sort of thing that um, you know, with, if it were different people involved, maybe I'd be more skeptical of it because <laughs> right. it is the sort of thing that you could, you know, it'd be kind of agitate over. And, you know, are there people with very few followers who are going to be like, and your mentions like that's something that can happen. But, you know, both of these people are people who I trust a great deal. Uh, and I don't Ed think Gold, are Goldstein's in the, been in the front office for a yeah. long time before he came back to writing. Yeah. I don't so. think Sheen and Goldstein are the type of guys to sort of make a stink over something for the sake of it. And if it is true, and I can totally imagine it, that uh, MLB is trying to do some kind of, uh, you know, use bots and that type of persuasion to do a kind of guerrilla public sentiment influencing <laughs> campaign. Uh, as rudimentary as that sounds and as stupid as that sounds, uh, I could a hundred percent believe it. And that is wild. If that's, uh, if that's where <laughs> we're at. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it seems a bit nefarious. It's, uh, but that's also, I don't know that's the, that's the way of the world. And also like, I mean, I don't know, MLB used different, like two different balls for, <laughs> like, for a year that like, while partnering with gambling companies like the i don't know they're they're not above weird shady tactics and uh, I, I totally think that's credible um but also again i guess it speaks to you know it, the fact that they might think that public sentiment is going to mean something at some point which it doesn't right now but when it gets to when you know when push comes to shove maybe it will so that they're they're both clearly and they hadn't for you know much of this process because you know everybody saw this date you know the december first expiry of the cba as you know that's good this is going to be a tricky one and you know it's been talked about for a long time and we you know we joked about it throughout the season that you know here comes this lockout um but it was never like it was it, and it still it hasn't got to like 94 levels of like calling each other pieces of shit in the in the New York Times but like uh but yeah they I don't know it it it, ha, it it's starting to get a little more contentious which maybe means they're moving towards you know like actually doing something in good faith but I'm pretty uh, confident we, people we are see. calling each other pieces of shit it just is not <laughs> appearing in the newspaper just yet uh but I'm yeah. pretty sure that's happening um <laughs> We got to get some Blue Jays content in here. So I don't know why it is. In my mind, maybe I'm just a Fangraphs guy. Zip sort of seems to be the projection system of record. So we recently had a big release of all the Blue Jays uh, zips, and they gave the Blue Jays 89 wins. 
I wouldn't take any team-wide thing too seriously at this point. One, will there be enough games for 89 wins? Yada, yada, yada. Mm-hmm. But also just, you know, a lot of teams' off-seasons aren't complete. I would consider the Blue Jays in that category. At the very least, uh, I'd be very surprised if there wasn't a an infield ad of some kind. But, oh, yeah. what, but what is interesting is sort of going through it on a player-by-player basis. So I thought what we'd do is go through just one stat. So I did OPS for players and ERA for pitchers. Nice and simple. I'll give the Zips projection for this year with the context of what they did last year, and then we'll just uh, run some over-unders on it. Ooh, all right. Which maybe I'll record and come back to, although I don't know. That <laughs> that went okay for us last time. I thought it, it had potential to be more embarrassing than it ultimately was. This is true. This is true. I mean, we need we need Ben here for that because he's, he's so, like, nonchalant about like yeah these are always terrible there's no there's no you're never right so yeah if you're with the with that being said with that being said if we're capable of our bold statement if people are capable of telling the future they would make even more money than you could from owning a baseball team (laughs) so uh vladdy the ops is 975 it's a pretty aggressive projection (laughs) but last year his ops was a thousand and two so what do you think on that over under? I will I mean I will take the over on that. That which is also aggressive but man I you know uh, everything everybody told them for years about him sort of came true last year. Uh and I think some people think that this is just sort of the the tip of the iceberg like he's uh he's real good. I don't know if you've heard about this Vlad Guerrero <laughs> Jr kid. He's pretty good. He's also young enough that, like, I understand that his 2021 was so special that the inclination is to assume that there'll be some regression. And probably for being scientific about it, that's, uh, that's probably... That would, be the, that would be the safe bet. That would be the under. safest yeah. bet, uh, technically speaking. You know, we compared him a lot to Bryce Harper in 2015, like, finally breaking through that amazing year. But that wasn't necessarily all he was going to be, although, you know, Harper went on to have an amazing 2021, etc. But I think that Guerrero Jr. is young enough that there's reason to expect that he can grow still. And his August sort of swoon that he had, like maybe there's a possibility that that doesn't happen the same way and he's able to maintain momentum throughout the year. So, yeah, I'll I'll hit the over on that with you as well. Oh, yeah. You know, another... Another off season, perhaps an extended off season. Um, you know, I, I like taking care of his body. Obviously, became a thing for him. It gets talked about and had had been talked about way too much. Uh, but yeah, that wasn't just like a three month thing in the off season before last season, right? It was like it's something that is going like can continue to progress. Like he, I'll put him at third base. I don't care. Like he, like <laughs> he could be. Uh, like I, that could just continue to get better. He's young enough where that that's you know that's a thing. He's not a, a broken down old man like, for example, myself. Yeah, I, I don't have many <laughs> thoughts of getting better at things these days. It's more about maintaining such that it is. Yeah. Uh, Bo eight thirty eight OPS is what he's projected for. Last year was an eight twenty eight. So they're saying basically the same thing, slightly better. I you know I mean I at the risk of seeming like I'm drinking the Kool Aid like I'll take the over on that too like I I I don't think that was him at his best last year 
you know, some generally guys get a little more selective, like hitters get more selective as they go, as they get older. Uh, that is something that I think can help him. He's obviously got like, you know, you know like, like wiry guy power that, uh, that and can, and, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think he can, I think he can do better. Um, which is, which is weird because he was like a four win shortstop last year, but I think, uh, I think there's more there too. I'm going to go under. I've always just Fair. been a little bit of a bow <laughs> skeptic over like his, his approach is so wild and some of the slumps can be so protracted, um, that, that, you know, there's always a threat that one of his months of the season is just kind of nothing. Um, again, like you said, this is a four win young shortstop. I'm not trying to say he's not a good player by any means, but his is the type of success that, um, feels more volatile to me. Uh, and, Assuming that he, true, he's yeah. going to grow off that, I'm not going to make quite the same assumption because, you know, when I watch Vladdy, I see the progression. And when I watch Bo, it, I just see him doing both things, <laughs> which is like, it's not a problem. Yeah. Like a lot of teams would like, everyone would love to have a guy doing both things on their team. But, um, I don't know when in well, a, there's a difference between like where Vlad, like just how he thinks through his at bats. As opposed to Bo, where sometimes it's just like he just he gets by on athleticism and being able to, you know, to to foul balls off and and to recover after you know getting into bad counts. Uh, no, I think you're totally fair to to take the under and and and, and highlight his volatility. The, um, this the next one is the for me it's the easiest line of all the Blue Jays hitters which is Teoscar Hernandez at 829 OPS last year he was at 870 I don't think the projections are capturing how Mm. much he's changed like he is a totally different hitter in 2020 he kind of confirmed what we'd seen at the end of 2019 and then 2021 he did all that and cut down on his strikeouts too in a really profound way and that had been holding him back for a number of years and, you know, cutting down strikeouts is pretty hard to fake. His power is incredible. I think, you know, considering that speed-power combo, he's always going to run those high BABIP numbers uh, and high sort of expected batting average numbers, things like that. Yeah, I, I see Teosco Hernandez as kind of an elite hitter at this point, and this projection doesn't really reflect that. Yeah, I, I agree. I will, I will take the over as well um, for all those reasons. Yeah, I, I mean... He does. I mean, he's an older, he's a young guy, but he's an older young guy. And he does have a lot of track record of being bad and striking out. And I think you're right that that's, you know, when you understand how, you know, some of what these projection systems are are looking at, that does build in uh, more doubt than it would if it looked at him as like if he was 21 and had had his last few years. But yeah, since the midpoint of 2019, he's been outstanding. He's won two silver sluggers. Like, yeah, he's. He's real good. That's 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 an easy over. George Springer, eight sixty five. Last year he was nine oh seven. Um, when obviously the whole when healthy thing. My first inclination is to hit the over on that too. I think what he did last <laughs> year yeah. is kind of reflective of what he can't do because he was a lot of last year he played quite hurt. 
and not at the top of his ability. So I think that 907... And yet was still, like, awesome. Yeah. (laughs) He was really a fantastic hitter. But in the... He's another guy who kind of took a mini step forward in his sort of late 20s, early 30s, and some of the stuff he did earlier in his career. And I know that, you know, reflective projection systems are smart and smarter than us. Um, but, and they, but they do take some stuff into account from pre, pre prior years. And he's another guy who took a step forward in my view, also cut his strikeouts as his career went on. He's yeah, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. Um, and you know, I was going to say when healthy, but whatever, he's one of the best hitters in baseball. And that probably wasn't appreciated enough before he came to the Blue Jays. And then last year, his injuries led to that, you know, again, maybe not being realized, but if you look at sort of 2019, 2020, and then even 2021 over that that period of time, like there's not a lot of guys who are more consistently excellent at the plate than Springer. Well, I'm with you on that. I, I don't know. I don't want to know what they project for his games played. Yeah, we're going to ignore <laughs> that component. Everything is when healthy. We're going to ignore anything to do with, uh, yeah. The t- I, I didn't put like home run totals or anything on here. Uh, right. <laughs> for that reason. Okay, then we've got... Uh, I don't know why I have Randall Grichuk next, but anyway, Randall Grichuk, uh, 746. Future Kansas City Royal Rand- Randall Grichuk. 746, and last year it was uh, 703. So they're looking at a little bounce back for Rand- for Handsome Randy. <laughs> do, do you buy a handsome randy bounce back i i mean he can't be worse like he's had seasons where he was better than last year i don't you know he is a uh he's a confounding player really um rasmussian in his uh and like you could see you know there's power there there's talent there speed athleticism can't <sighs> Uh, you know just can't uh i don't know if it's that he can't get out of his own way or what but it felt like last year what was it like he was trying i don't know he was trying to was he trying to use all fields more and that just that just did not work or it, it's like he's trying to he tries to better himself every year to his own detriment um and sometimes you know maybe he's figured out maybe he'll figure out that he needs to just sort of lean into the limited player that he is um, I, you know, I don't think I can do over on him there, <laughs> but I think that it's, you know, just based on his, on his career, he's, you know, he's, he's had seasons like that. Like, what is it? Seven forty six or whatever. He, it wouldn't surprise me, but nothing would surprise me with him. And also I'm not betting the over on him. I'm banging the over. Let's go. Wow. Randall Grichuk. It's uh, a Randy. Yeah, I think <laughs> one one component is it is that from a playing time perspective, he'll probably be given more so the matchups he can handle uh, as opposed to getting as much time as he got last year. So that, I think, helps him. Like you said, he's always kind of figuring something out. In 2020, he had some success <laughs> cutting his swing down a little bit with the strikeouts and yeah, using the rest of the field. And I think he, he brought that up into 2021, but it neutered his power too much. And the overall package was yeah. not a good one. You know, in 2018 in 2018, in 2018 and 2020, <laughs> sorry, we've been off podcasting for, you know, a couple months here. 
Um, in 2018 and 2020, he was quite good. So maybe he'll do sort of the Giants thing and be decent in even years. That's the sort of thing that might happen yeah. for him. So I'll, I'll bang. I'm not banging the over in, in the sense that I think he's going to be great. But 746 is a low bar. So uh, true. Yeah, fair. Lourdes Gurriel Jr., 7.99, and last year was 7.85. I mean, I feel like I'm taking the over on everybody except the one guy who sucks, but I'll take, I can take <laughs> the over on that. Um, yeah, Gurriel is also a, a confounding guy. Um, I think he might be the most, he might be the confounding guy on the, on the Blue Jays, <laughs> at least. Uh, yeah, except he's sort of like the same guy, whereas Grichik is like you get like does the Kevin Pilar thing, where it's like every year there's a new there's a new trick he's trying to to pull to like better himself that just doesn't work out. Like I'm gonna I'm gonna get on base by bunting this year. <laughs> um, but Guriel just is like just so like like just extremely streaky, which is which is which we've learned is a thing. Um, and so it's just like which which months are going to show up. I kind of I want to believe in him. He's fun. Um, so I will take the over on that as well. But also, again, I, my <laughs> my homerism is showing. I'm taking the over on everybody. I'll take the under. I, I just don't think there is. I think what he did last year was pretty reflective of what he does. Uh, he was ice cold and he was red hot, and that's kind of what it all added up to in the end. Yeah, I could I could see him clearing this. He's cleared this in the past. Um, but yeah, he's the type of player that I have a hard time kind of putting my full level of belief behind, you know, similar to Bichette in to some Bichette, ways. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, you know, he, he's proven me wrong in the past. Like, I've probably been more skeptical of him than he, than he's shown with his production. But I, he's the type of guy that I have a hard time hitting the over on, especially when the projection is for him to do better than last year. And I'm just not a hundred percent sure why, um, why he would be better than last year. And he he's also someone who quietly has seen his athleticism fade a fair amount in the last couple of years. Like he used to be decent sprint speed guy. And now he's like brutal in that area. Oh, so, really? Really? um, he's not, He's not someone who's going to get you sort of the extra base hits at the fringes that maybe he might would have earlier in his career. Well, don't don't tell Cleveland that. Sorry, yeah, sorry for putting it out there. <laughs> yeah. All right, the next one. This is a uh, your fa- I think I could see an under coming from you here. Okay. Because we've got Cavan Biggio at the plate. Ooh, yeah. With a yeah. seven, you might, might get an under no matter what that number is. Number seven thirty-five. Uh, not a super high bar. A, no. I thought it was interesting that's a lower bar than Gritchick. Now, to be fair, it would be sort of a more valuable version because it would be very OBP heavy, um, as opposed to slugging. But that's a tough one for me. I think maybe it's not a tough one for you. So yeah, I uh, I mean I don't know. It's it's easy to be down on Biggio because we had just haven't seen him enough. Like twenty twenty one was such a wash for him. Uh, twenty twenty was so short, but to me it doesn't matter. I you know I'm not like I don't want to be correct about seeing some of the flaws in Biggio that a lot of people don't want to believe are there. But I think those I think those flaws are there. Uh, I do think though also you know. Provided they get another infielder, which I think we all believe they absolutely will, because they kind of have to. Like, like you were saying about Gritchick, like uh, 
like with Espinal there and Vigio, they can maybe make the matchups a little more favorable for him. Uh, which you know, I, I like. I don't think he's like a nothing player. Like I think he can be a productive guy. Uh, just like <laughs> it's more like don't don't put him in the same class as Vlad and Bo, uh, which I think we've probably moved past, which is is probably good. Um, I'm saying all these words because I haven't yet committed to whether whether I'm going to say over or under on him. Um, like he could do. I'll take. I'm going to take the under, but it would not. It would not shock me at all if he took if he was over that. That's a low bar, like you said. Yeah, I'll take the over because it's the low bar. Um, you know, it's it's not hard for me to imagine him getting an on base of say 350. And then from there, you can... Depends if they ban the shift in the new CBA. It's <laughs> true. Uh, <laughs> and it's pretty, you can kind of negotiate a slugging out of that that makes sense. I like your you know your point because it was my point. Maybe that's why I like it about the matchups. Um, so yeah, I'll do that. I, I think people have soured on him maybe just a little bit too much. Uh, yeah, I think there's, there may need to be an over, uh, you know, a, a correction to the original correction. Okay, the next one is Santiago Espinal, who is projected at 655. Last year was 781. So we're talking about low bars to clear. That is a low bar to clear. He's an interesting one because the perception of him and the reality are pretty divergent, I think, for a lot of fans. Mm -hmm. Like, I've made comments out Espinal in the past, and I've gotten a lot of replies. They're like, this guy hit 300 last year, and like, blah, blah, blah. And that's, you know, that's true. I'll, you know, spoiler <laughs> alert, I, I will, oh, I don't know. I'm like, I'm, that's, I'm that's a real low bar. It's there, a low yeah. bar, but I'm still <laughs> torn about the over because he, he has absolutely no power whatsoever. He truly, he's a no power player. So I, I will, I will take the over in the end. He did show some things with the bat last year for sure, but he's got a pretty long minor league track record of not being a great hitter. And there's a little bit of a, a Reese McGuire effect going on where a guy doesn't perform in the minors and then he hits well in the majors for a short period of time and people anchor to that. So I, I'll take a very slim over here, but I do think he's probably overrated offensively by many Blue Jays supporters. At this stage, that's probably true. Um I'll also take the over. I mean, again, because it's such a low bar. I I, I agree with you. Uh, though, also, I think you know, uh, the J. Uh, you know, part of part of what baseball is now is you know, teams are getting better at coaxing power out of like Marcus Marcus Simeon last year, for example. Like Simeon being a forty home run guy is crazy, and I'm not you know, uh, which was part of like sort of my reasoning for why I was like, okay, I don't think the Jays are going to go back to, even though he's obviously a great player, obviously he got paid in Texas and that's great. Um, but uh, uh, that's hard for me to believe that, you know, based on his track record, that 40 home runs is going to be what his reality is going forward. And that's kind of what he was going to realistically and understandably get paid as um, point being, they can coax power out of guys a little bit sometimes. Uh, I think, and they're getting, you know, I think teams are getting better and better at that. Um, so maybe that will come for us, you know, for, for Espinal, that means like going from one home run to three, <laughs> like it's, it's, a, it's, uh, yeah, he's not going to ever have actual power, but I do, but he does, you know, he hits the ball pretty hard. 
uh, which which does a lot, even if it's not always, you know, if it's not going over the wall. Um, yeah, I think he's, I, you know, I, I, I think even, even, you know, maybe this is just like the, my mindset from having watched baseball in the eighties, but like, I don't know. I, I feel that like, like that, could, that could still work. And like the slugging component of the, uh, you know, of our, our new modern stats is maybe a little, uh, to my mind, a little weighs a little too heavily. Uh, I like a hitter like Espinal and I, I think that, uh, I think he can do all right. I think he can do better than that, and uh, and and probably for a while. I you know, I'm, I'm going to throw a question back at you, like long term, BGO or Espinal. Uh, it's it's tricky because I think Espinal is firmly an MLB player who will be useful to you no matter like B, there, There's a scenario yeah. where BGO is not a useful MLB player. But there's also a scenario where Biggio is an adequate starting second baseman. Um, so I think I'll take the higher upside of Biggio. Biggio is funny. We don't necessarily associate him with upside considering his physical tools. But I'd take the higher upside of Biggio because he's a solid second baseman. And if the bat is adequate, it provides something different in the lineup. Getting on base is very valuable. He's a good base runner. Whereas Espinal to me seems more like a yeah utility guy who's the, uh, maybe the first infielder off the bench plays a bunch of positions well. Lots of teams would like to have a guy like Espinal, and you know there's there are arguments like this going on in draft rooms all the time, right? Like, do we draft the guy who might be a starter or might be nothing, or do we draft the guy who's got the floor and we know can contribute? So. My pick out of those would be Biggio, but there's a definitely an argument for Espinal that I wouldn't be dismissive of. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, I probably would have to take Biggio as well. So, being honest, like, <laughs> there there are kind of a lot of Espinals out there. The for round out the hitters, I'm gonna group all the three catchers. I'm not when I say the three catchers, guys. Uh, Reese McGuire is not on it. Uh, the three catchers, <laughs> Danny Jansen. Alejandro Kirk and Gabo Moreno, all extremely similar projections. So I'm just going to group them together. Jansen is 757, Kirk 763, Moreno 753. So general thoughts on that. I am going under on Jansen. I know how good he was at the end of last year. It seemed more like hot streak than breakout to me. Uh, mm. but there were some real things there. There was, there was power. There was, um, there was cutting down on strikeouts. I don't want to be totally dismissive of it, but there's so much evidence of Jansen being a significantly worse offensive player than that. I'm not willing to buy in yet. Give me the, the <laughs> there's a lot of evidence. Yeah. <laughs> give me the over on Kirk last year. He was 764 at his age. He's a good hitter. I don't see why he would be worse this year. And give me the over on Moreno too. Incredibly impressive in the minor leagues. Small sample, but it just, I don't know. He just doesn't seem like a guy to bet against right now. True. I i would probably take the under on Moreno just because of his youth. And, you know, uh, it's a its a big adjustment. I, I, you know, I, I know that the bar there is not very high, but nonetheless, um. Not that I'm obviously not like super impressed and excited about you know what he's going to be in the future, but you know, I got to take the under on somebody. 
Um, I think you're right with Kirk over for sure. Like just piss rods all over the place. Like he is, uh, he, he can hit the baseball. Uh, uh, the other things are, are a little more in question. If Kirk could, uh, I mean, it, he won't be able to ever probably, but <laughs> if Kirk could run even a little bit, like it, he would be the player who's the candidate to have his slugging percentage rise just from running, maybe across really, all of yeah. baseball. Like he hits so many possible doubles that are saying, like Vladdy was the king of this for a while, still is to an extent. But Kirk hits so many possible extra base hits that just have to be singles because he doesn't move, which is yeah. strikes me as a shame. Uh, Jan- Jansen, I think I'm going to take the over on, even though I think you're right that there's been so much evidence that he's just not that caliber of hitter. But I just uh, I don't know if it's just nostalgia or what. But like you know, when he was a prospect, that like he it was the bat that carried him, and uh, you know sometimes catchers take longer. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's doing the right things in the off season. The guy, like, is he, is he hitting with Bichette? And he's, I forget who he's hitting with. I think Rob Longley of the Sun did a, did a piece on him two months ago. Who the hell knows at this point in this like void that we exist in now. Um, and yeah, I like, yeah, I think you're right that the end of the season was definitely more like a, just a weird hot streak than like a new normal, but. I don't know. It just that those were the things that it seemed like were there with with a little more you know power as a guy who's uh, you know who's who's just maturing like that and then that that sort of comes along eventually for guys uh, often. Uh, so yeah, I I don't know. I'd like to believe in Danny Jansen. I I would like to believe in Gabriel Moreno even more. Um, but I think maybe it's just that I'm resigned to the fact that the Jays are not moving off Danny Jansen for quite some time so, if uh, danny jensen became that guy who had a sort of close to oh, 800 yeah. ops with the kind of defense he has that would be a hell of a development for because i think yeah. a lot of people are talking about <laughs> this sort of catcher log jam and the assumption is that oh well jensen kind of filters into the reliable veteran 1b backup ish type of player who maybe is in a battery with a specific pitcher like ryu or something and plays you know two out of five games but if Jansen establishes that offensive level, even what he's just projected for there, um, yeah. then Blue Jays are a very interesting position. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, I like. Yeah, that would be great. Um, <laughs> I just, I'm like, I picked the over on all of these, and inevitably, so many of them are going to be not over. Well, we've got some pitchers here, so we're going to do the the starting pitchers. Relief ERA is a bit silly and hard to predict anyway, so we're going to go through the starters here, uh, give you an opportunity to bang yeah, six unders in a row here if you want. <laughs> I, I might. Kevin Gosman, uh, 361 ERA. Last year was 281. Uh, so there's some level of skepticism about his breakout, which was largely in the first half of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um but still, you know, 361 is nothing to sneeze at either. No, it's not. I'll still probably, I got to take the over on that. Uh, like, uh, I don't, I, I, I think the signing was a, was a great idea. I think it's awesome to watch the Blue Jays actually, like, spend money. Uh, I'm glad for Kevin Gossman for getting paid. Um, but yeah, that second half kind of, kind of makes makes you wonder about, 
what the real ceiling is there. And, you know, I don't think it matters. I think his, you know, his second half was fine and his previous year was fine. And uh, he's reached a point where, you know, I think he can just, he can consistently be a very solid starter. But I just, I, but 361 is, uh, that's, 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 that's pretty good. Uh, I suspect it'll be a little less than that. I'll take the under, you know, uh, over the, it's certainly not going to be like what it was in the national league. No, but over the last two seasons with the giants, it's a three ERA overall, um, in, you know, 250 odd innings. And that, you know, it coincides with this sort of the way the sort of splitter is taken off. Uh, I think he's, you know, he's a different pitcher than he was in Baltimore, which factors into these type of projections like we said just a little bit not a touch i don't think i don't think way under like i'm when in my head it's not 312 right. <laughs> it's like 349 or something like it just you know it, it strikes me as just about right but slightly could go either way uh, Fair. uh yeah. okay we got barrios at 384 last year he was at 358 yeah i will take the under on that one um Cause he's fucking awesome. I don't know. Uh, it, it definitely, <laughs> there's some hard contact that comes with, like he's not, he's, he's clearly more like a, um, an elite number two and not a real number one. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think he can do better than that. It, it, <laughs> I, it honestly, I, I provide no evidence why I'd say that, it, but I, that's just my feeling. It kind of strikes me as a perfect line to be honest. Like it's about exactly what I would have conjured in my head. Uh, he is awesome. He was really good last year. You know, he's at an age where improvements aren't out of the question. His career ERA is four Oh four. Uh, and that's, you know, pitching in a situation that's easier than pitching in Toronto. Without Pete Walker. Yeah. Too. Oh, without Pete Walker. But <laughs> I, I'll take the over. I think that he's sort of around four in the AL East, and that's fine because he'll log a ton of innings, and you're going to get good value for your money with him. But uh, sure. I think, yeah, that that mark sort of indicates that we're not talking about the superstar pitcher. We're talking about, yeah, the very solid top middle rotation guy the next one's interesting which is Manoa at 353 that is lower than I expected last year was 322 personally I'm gonna hit over on that I just think there's so much room for him to have a great season and it still be over that yeah I would have to take over on that as well and you know uh, as anybody who's listened to this knows like we uh, we were banging the drum for Manoa for for a long time just Partly because it was funny, because he was just absolutely dominant in AAA. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that was such a great rookie year that he had, uh, you know, across the board. And he's just an easy guy to cheer for. But that's that's pretty low projection. <laughs> like, um, yeah, like I like if I'm if I'm over on uh, on Gossman, I can't be I can't be under on Manoa at that. Yeah, there there's a lot in his game so far that we've seen that has to do with sort of deception and contact management, which is not what we associate with a guy of his sort of size and demeanor, but there is a fair amount of that. And I want to see that repeated a little bit before I'm totally confident that like, that's something that he can, like, I know he'll be able to miss some bats. 
Um, I know he'll be plunking people, but I want to be sure about some of the other components. Yeah, I think that's totally fair, yeah. Ryu at 369. This is an obvious over for me. I know that sort of the 2018 to 2020 Ryu was incredible and significantly better than this. But at his age, coming off of 437 in 2021, I could see a bounce back. I don't know if I can see this big of a bounce back. Yeah, I don't want to. I don't like that I'll take the over. But yeah, I think you got to take the over on that one. That's definitely like the track record built into the projection. And um, and I, I think there's lots of reasons to believe that he can be better than he was last year. Uh, he was pretty great for four months of last year. And, and, and it wouldn't surprise me if he hit this projection or was under. But like you say, the, <laughs> the age and and just, you know, just the kind of pitcher that he is, you know, it's not like he has overpowering stuff to like, to fall back on it'll all magically you know come together again um he's gotta he's gotta be healthy enough to to throw just hard enough to not be throwing slop up there um and often he is and you know the older he gets the less likely it is he'll be able to like sort of be on the correct side of that fine line that he walks a little bit yeah also with pitchers like him there's a tendency to say, oh, these guys are going to age well. They don't rely on throwing hard. It's all about command so they can do it forever. And we've seen that in some cases. With Ryu, there might be a case of, yes, the velocity is similar to what you've seen in the past, but it takes more effort to achieve that velocity, mm-hmm. which undermines his ability to command the pitches. And that's, I think, what we saw a little bit of in 2021, where a lot of the stuff was literally the same, but it wasn't located quite as well. and a likely cause of that is that generating that stuff is more effortful at this point in his career. And they kind of like, you know, it like he doesn't throw side sessions and, and is better on extra rest. And that those are all sort of pointing toward that being the case for sure. Ross Stripling, 478. Uh, I'm going to hit a straight push here. That sounds exactly <laughs> right. That's exactly the sort of thing that Ross Stripling would do. I can't think of a compelling reason to believe it would be better or worse than that in a significant way. That's, I mean, well, I can't say straight push now, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think you have sound reasoning. That's that is pretty realistic sounding. Um, you know, Pete Walker's got that magic touch, man. So uh, I'll take the under on that, but but. Uh, <laughs> but not under by a whole lot. Last year he was 480, so it is exactly where he's been. Uh, you know, he wasn't as he's not as bad as he was early last year. He's not as good as he was when he was really good for a weird amount of time. That that's yeah, that's what mm-hmm. that's what I'm banking my under on is that weird good period where you know it sort of it it eluded him after uh, after a couple months of it, but he was really good for a while. And he was good with the Dodgers. He's like he's a fine pitcher. If they don't add another starter and he's, you know, they're number five, they will not be unlike many teams in having, you know, a guy like that as their number five. Yeah, Stripling's fine. Uh last one, Nate Pearson, four fifty mm. is the projection. Four twenty is what he did last year. This is, seems like a clear under to me. 
because if he pitches at this level in the rotation, or if he's worse than this in the rotation, there'll be such a temptation to move him to the bullpen where I'm pretty confident he'll do much better. And if he's in the bullpen, I'm confident he'll do much better. Like he had a couple of inopportune blowups last year, but he was dynamite out of the bullpen. He, he had like 20 strikeouts and 12.2 innings. Um, he he got more and more confident in that role. I'm not out here advocating he needs to be in the bullpen, but I think if things go badly for him, he is there and he does well. And if things go well for him, then he'll be doing better than this. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, <clears throat> I mean, he could do do <laughs> badly like, and then get injured. I mean, that's a that is a, that's another op- option. Yeah, um, you know, I, uh, I think I got. I'll take the under as well. Like, if I was, I'll take the under as well because there's no stakes in this. <laughs> I want to be hopeful, but like, if it was, if I was putting actual money on it, I would probably not take the under. I think at this point, just because, you know. We've just we've seen the Nate Pearson movie a few times already, and and the hopeful side of me, you know, like you sees you know sees the talent, sees at minimum a guy who can do really really well in the bullpen. But uh, uh, you know, it's just it's always something. I just I hope he's healthy, and I hope it I hope it works out, and I will take the under for that reason. Uh, because if he is healthy and he is able to like repeat his delivery and do all the things that he hasn't been able to do, you know, with the weird, you know, the months long search for the, you know, what the hernia was or what the, you know, the injury issue last year, uh, which was, you know, a different one from the injury issues in all the other years. Um, you know, I, I, I think all of like what people, people loved about Nate Pearson in the beginning is still there. Um, so it would be silly to not take the under, <laughs> but I just, I'd, you know, gun to my head, I would have a hard time taking that and in, in, instead of the over, because it's just, it doesn't, doesn't, don't, I don't feel super confident about it, but I also think you're right that he probably will be under because he probably will end up in the bullpen at some point, which is a, w- if not right from a the very game. weird form of optimism, but, uh, there you go. <laughs> That's what we're here for. All right. We're going to wrap it there. Uh, appreciate everyone listening in after our hiatus. It will probably be re-hiatusing a bit. Uh, after this, we're kind of rolling with the punches lockout-wise. I don't think you guys want to hear us talk Rob Manford too much. We don't want to do it. So this was our <laughs> this was us addressing it once, and uh, we may have to address it again. In fact, I would probably bet we do, but... Not too often if we can help it. So we appreciate you guys tuning in and we will see you at some point in the future.